So there's only one more day of football left, but... Pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bezos. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Tim Preston. As always, you guys listen to the Hornscast channel, the Hornscast channel on any podcasting platform. As always, we are being brought in by the Budos Band. Go ahead and check them out. Good music there. Today, we're going to be talking about the Oklahoma game. Most frustrating game we've all watched in quite a while, so we're going to go ahead and vent about it and talk about how this game actually affects Texas in the broader scheme of things. Then, give y'all our thoughts on the Baylor game tonight as Texas takes on number two Baylor Bears. How good is Baylor this year, and how can Texas take them down? Then, gloss over Oklahoma State and give you the pretend you're getting to know us. Y'all, that Oklahoma game was something, wasn't it? I... Don't know if I've seen a more infuriating game as a Texas basketball fan just because I know that Texas could do better than that, but they were severely handicapped, and it was against your bitter rival. Yeah, I was... Well, I came away from that game... It's a solid start, Tim. Solid <laughs> start. Strong start right there. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's fair. I... I wanted to be, I want to be diplomatic here because I I saw some some takes of like wow Texas really showed me something in this game I, I was so impressed with their fight and that they kept on clawing their way back and undermanned Texas squad against against an Oklahoma team that you know seemed to be at, at almost full strength and and what an underdog story for that and like wow they just they really came through and and I I guess I only take negatives from the loss, <laughs> which I'm not the kind of, I'm not like an only negatives from any loss kind of guy, but it just, it was so, we shot ourselves in the foot, just a, another game of, of really poor decision-making on the defensive end, um, weird officiating, at, to put it kindly, uh, senior guards, uh, you know, aka Matt Coleman, just playing like an idiot, uh, yeah, just in a game that I almost would have rather that they lost by like 15 and been like, well, yeah, we were shorthanded. This was, you know, just that's how it goes. But <laughs> to to claw their way back and claw their way back and this, but but also to play so poorly and ugly. And there were a lot of things that kind of made you want to believe during the game. And then like when it finished, you're like, yeah, we didn't deserve to win that game. <laughs> but then to lose it so close and this mixed reactions and, and sort of feeling like, okay, well, maybe I'm going to buy in. No, never mind. Well, maybe I'll, okay, well, oh, we could win this. And we kind of won a game like this before this year. And and then to have it just kind of fall away, just, I don't know. Obviously, just from my my uh, back and forth hemming and hawing nature, you can tell that I, I feel pretty frustrated about it. But it, to put it again, I, I don't take any positives. Like they fought hard, cool. They they almost won a game that they probably didn't have any business business winning, fine, but at the end of the day it's a loss. And if I've been talking about twelve wins this whole time, this is one that doesn't go in the correct column for us. <laughs> it goes it goes in the L and and does that drop you line? I don't know. I doubt it. Does it does it look like a terrible loss in the grand scheme of things? No, it's going to be a, a quad one loss, right? So I don't think it's going to necessarily hurt us, but it does mean you got to find us some way to steal another game somewhere else, and that's that's two straight home losses. And yeah, so we'll we'll see where it goes. Johnny, can we complete the opposite day and you give us the positive side? Um, no. Okay, never mind. <laughs> that was way too much. I was asking way too much there. So I am going to channel 
Shaka's inner monologue from the press conference yesterday by saying, what the fuck? Why did we have to play that game? Because if that was ridiculous, no other team would have had to do that. They should have just extended it. Other teams have had to do it. Like Kansas State played a game where they had seven scholarship players. So Boston College is playing or played last night with four scholarship players, and the rest of their team are scout team players. Yeah, against Florida State. So yeah, <laughs> other teams are like, doing it, but it's it's not that Texas got fucked any more than any other team, right? It sucks uh, because of who they're playing, because of the result, because of. Uh, you know, just the, the, this whole year is weird and fucked up, but you know, I, I watch Shaka's press conference. I, I don't normally watch those because he's genuinely not a person to give away a lot in those things. Like he's honest, but he doesn't, he's, he's sort of a, he's, he's like the NSA at, at a certain point. They kept asking him questions, uh, that were sort of, what was your feelings watching that game from afar? And he had a couple things to say that were, and he put it very diplomatically, but he basically said, I was sick as hell, y'all. And also, so I was, I was a little preoccupied, but also, you know, they, they tried to get him to say that they shouldn't have played that game. And he basically would not because he, because he didn't want to get fined in the, in, in the words of the great Marshawn Lynch, he was there so he wouldn't get fined. And it was clear he's very frustrated with this scenario, with the process around this, with how tests are handed out, how positives are done, how contact tracing is done. Like it varies from conference to conference. He very conspicuously brought up the fact that Kentucky had, quote, a positive and went on a 48 hour pause just as they were getting ready to go out there, uh, even though Shaka was not going to be able to go to that game. And, you know, he's just. He, you could you could tell he's frustrated and he's he would rather have not played that game given that as he mentioned in his press conference before he tested positive he had one practice where it was him and two guys because that's all that was available he was the last person in the program to test positive while they were out over that week and a half or whatever so like there was clearly positives popping all through that program over the last week and a half two weeks because, I, I mean, it's, I guess, because TCU and Iowa State paused uh, or canceled, postponed those games, then we didn't find out about Texas go, getting positives. But it sounds like Texas may not have been able to play those games either anyway. And on top of all of that, Texas could not afford getting in foul trouble. But there was a foul called by these refs every 49 seconds. Every 49 every, seconds. Yeah, exactly. Every 49 seconds, they called a foul. That is ridiculous. On top of all that they had to deal with there, they didn't have their best big man. They didn't have one of their best shooters. They didn't have their one of their best guys off the bench. They didn't have their head coach. And the refs were absolutely handing it to them. And Long Kruger did what a good coach was would do and forced the issue. He had his team's drive at players who were in foul trouble like Matt Coleman or like Royce Ham or well, anybody who was R- in foul Royce trouble. Ham is perpetually in foul trouble. Yeah, I, yeah I, and I, I kind of picked on him, but you know what I mean. Yeah. they He was playing a game that was actually pretty smart, and the refs let him play it. 
because they were just that bad. Yeah, it's the the inconsistency of the calls is what bothered me. You know, it's one thing if refs decide to call a tight game. It's one thing if they decide to call a loose game. Both of those, if they're consistent in the application, you can gain you you can adjust to that, right? But this they there were things that they let go in the first half. They did not let go in the second half. There are things they did not let go in the first two minutes of the second half that they let go of the last ten minutes of the second half. Like it was infuriating because you know. Even if Texas was at full capacity, they still would have been in foul trouble with that crew because there wasn't a consistency to what was and wasn't getting called. And, you know, calling 12 fouls in the first two minutes of a half is insane. Like, nobody can really do anything when you're calling fouls at that rate. So it's just, it it is, it it was extremely frustrating. And I wish they hadn't played that game, especially in hindsight, but we're in these COVID times where if you have six guys, then you you have to play. I, and I don't know what the repercussions are if you don't. Like, I, I don't know if it's a fine, if it's just considered a forfeit or what. Like, frankly, I almost would have rather them just forfeit that game than sit there and watch that shit for two and a half hours. Yeah, well, and with all the stuff with, with the referees, what I would also add is that the guys that we're talking about that were the most egregious. Well, I guess I did Greg foul out. Yes. Yeah. Greg yeah. fouled out on a very terrible charge call or blocking yeah. call. Yeah. But the other guys were Matt and Royce. I mean, the, the two seniors, you know, if you take an 18 year old or 19 year old freshman and you put them in that situation and the refs, some possessions call one thing and the next possession call something different, or they spend five minutes calling the, the calls one way and then the next 10 minutes a different way. Certainly that's difficult, but that's why you have veteran leadership (laughs) and, and those guys should figure it out. Like it's not the first time that they played in a game where there's been inconsistency from the referees and inconsistency from big 12 referees. (laughs) Well, so, okay. Two things. And I I don't disagree with your overall point, Tim, but I, I would take it the other direction, not with Royce because he is currently averaging 10.2 fouls per 40 minutes, which means if he fouled out and they reinstated him, he would foul out again in the course of a 40-minute game. That's how many... And f- then be in foul trouble again the third time. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a, a Longhorn Road Trip, who, who's on Twitter, he he pointed that, that stat out, and that's very on brand for Royce. He's really getting into some rarefied air with t- 10.2 fouls per 40 minutes. So Royce notwithstanding, because yeah, when he's standing, he's fouling. Matt Coleman is, <laughs> he, this was his third time fouling out in 113 games. So I would venture a, a counter argument that if Matt Coleman can't figure out how not to foul out against these refs, I don't know who can. Because if you look at that fifth foul, I'm not looking for a star system here, right? Like I'm not looking for LeBron, get you know, where he's basically got to murder somebody to get a, his, his final foul. But like it's come on man i agree i i'm not saying they were good calls clearly <laughs> they they were not and i'm pretty loath to to attack referee i'm not that we're attacking them that i'm pretty loath to to assign I, too I much blame to them i was considering attacking them like in the parking lot <laughs> but this is oklahoma state versus texas when they bumped into the charlie strong levels yeah i i don't know i don't know i i still i do think that there were a few times where Matt just like, I don't know if he was just being manic 
or was trying to make a play or trying to like light a fire with his teammates and just like just got out of control. And it's like, they're going to call that, Matt. And yeah, they called it. Again, he's still a college kid, still still young by any, you know, just about any metrics. But I'd like to see a little bit more composure from him. We know that this is one of the most frustrating games we've watched in a while. But I want you all to quantify it. And Tim, you being the resident historian, I think you will know this question very well. This is the most infuriating game since blank. Because this is a game that they needed to win. They were very close to winning, despite not having put themselves in that position. And they still lost, and the refs and everything just went against them. It was just an incredibly infuriating game. When has it been more infuriating since that? Well, if you're thinking historically, like, I I know that we it feels like we go back to those same two years every single time, but the 2010-11 season when they lose to Colorado at Colorado... And that Colorado was bad, and Texas, I think, was ranked like third or second at that time, and they and that like kind of was the first of three late season losses before they ended up being a four seed. That was one of those times where like we can't lose that game, and then Colorado just came and like smacked them around. But yeah, I mean, like even like just if you want to keep it fresh, just that the Oklahoma State game at home last year, that to to end the season, we had won at Oklahoma State coming out the five-game win streak. We didn't think COVID was going to stop stuff at that point. We're like, all right, now we got it going on. There was a decent crowd that time, and then they got just smacked. Longhorn basketball is littered with kind of <laughs> tough, tough tough losses. It's, it's, not, it's not as if we uh, haven't had our more than our fair share. Like, I, I'm sure you could talk about, what about Chaminade? I'm sure you could talk about, you know, if you go back to some of the games... I don't think you got to even go back that far. I mean, those those are those are perfectly fine examples, but I I don't have to go back that far. I'm going to go to the loss to Georgia two seasons ago. Ooh, that to me, that's a good one. N- not because of refereeing, but because of just how fucking awful they what, were. What did Georgia have like 15 threes in that game or something like that? I don't remember. Sure, they they went crazy from outside. Well, I it wasn't even that. I mean, you know, they had. Yeah, I mean, they were 12 of 17 from three, but it was the fact that Texas had just a crazy amount. Like, Georgia had 26 turnovers. They turned the ball over on 33% of their possessions, and Texas lost by 10. You know how badly you have to play defense for a team to give the ball up every third trip down the court, and they still beat you by double digits? (laughs) I don't know, 12 for 17... is gonna go a long way in that <laughs> but no. yeah I, what about that georgetown game last year that was infuriating for me because i was like yeah because fi- i felt that texas had finally maybe made a turn i remember tweeting the first half i was like wow texas basketball is fun to watch and then oh. the second half happened mm. or like the game when texas like played duke in medicine square garden in like oh five or whatever it was and they just got run out of the gym oh or, where they were I like number that. two in the country or whatever and, uh, <laughs> yeah yeah like it wasn't that the one where JJ Redick is still scoring off of that game. Yeah, that yeah. was that wasn't. Yeah. So that's not. I guess for me, that's not the same sort of infuriating because, like, when you get wrecked like that, it's like at a certain point you go, uh, "Okay, all right, this is done." But infuriating, like infuriating, has to have some level of competitiveness to it that. Like the game is in doubt for a while. Like if you just like that's why the Oklahoma State game wasn't infuriating to me because it was over by halftime, and it, so like 
the second half. I mean, it's like Radford or something like that. Then, yeah, like it's got it for me. It's it, for, to be to, to to have the peak amount of infuriate infuriation. There has to be like it has to keep me in it. It has to keep yeah, me yeah. entertained, not entertained, but you know, emotionally invested enough to be yeah. upset. Yes, yes. Like Texas getting its shit kicked in by somebody is not. In I mean. It can be infuriating, but the like the truly infuriating are the ones where it's like, like the Georgia game. The Georgia game. I, I after that, I just went and took the dog to the dog park and just stared at the dog for like thirty minutes. Just, <laughs> it's just like I don't, I don't even want to. I don't, I don't know. That I was at my happy place for that game. We go with some friends to uh, indoor water park every every winter. Uh, and that was the the Saturday of the Georgia game, like a couple years in a row. It was like the the weekend of the Big Twelve SEC Challenge, and so that was fine. <laughs> it was terrible, but I'm sure if I'd have been home in a normal Saturday or whatever with that, it would have been a little bit worse. But I came out a little bit less scathed. But why this game ranks up there with the frustration of all of those games we just mentioned, and probably other games that we didn't mention that. Feel free to let us know in Twitter or in the comment section of wherever you find this. Remember your most frustrating Texas game. But the reason that this game was so frustrating is for Texas's hunt to be the number two team in the Big 12, games like that matter. And a loss that is avoidable like that is going to hurt when every team from two to six in the Big 12 is within a game to a game and a half of each other. Texas is now playing Baylor. And if they lose this game, Oklahoma is now the number two team in the Big 12 if they beat Texas Tech tonight. It's that close. And really, a loss like that is going to hurt you down the line, especially getting to that 12-win mark that you're talking about, Tim. It's games like that that are winnable and that you should win in a year like this against a team like Oklahoma that you should beat nine times out of ten, that when you lose to them, it hurts. Yeah, I, I, Johnny's making a face for those of you at home where Will says nine, nine out of ten, and Johnny, I think, was getting a little incredulous. I, I guess I'd, I'd be closer to your way, Will. I mean, I'd, I'd be comfortable saying eight out of ten. I think a, full, a fully healthy Texas squad does have a pretty good record against Oklahoma. Now... If you take the Texas squad that was available for that game, I'm not sure that that team has a nine out of ten kind of thing going against them. But, but certainly, I, 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 I maybe fall closer to your reasoning than than my uh, less genius podcast host friend. Uh, but from the, <laughs> we've, we, you got you've got to find seven more wins. So it's at some point you got to Texas needs to find it, for my magical twelve win whatever you have to find seven more wins now. I've spent the entire season talking about the 12 win threshold and and yet Texas has lost two of the last three. Their only win was a kind of at the end of the game sort of lackluster appearing win at Kansas State or no, just it was at home against Kansas. It was home. Yeah. Uh they beat the Braves still... off them for approximately 36 minutes and then let Kansas yeah. <laughs> State do the ultimate backdoor cover. Yes. Right. They're still ranked 6th. And they're still top 10-ish in Pomeroy. And so maybe I'm not used to Texas getting the benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm underplaying how much the wins against 
you know, that, that win in, in the Maui Invitational or the win at Kansas might still do some heavy lifting. I don't really care about second place in conference. What I care about is wins because I think wins are going to translate at the end of the season to to what we want, which is ultimately let's get as far as we can in the tournament. This is this is the year where truly I know how good Baylor is. I know how good Gonzaga is. I still just think this is a year where crazy stuff is going to happen, like some weird shit is going to go down in Indianapolis. And so let's just get those wins. And and the loss against OU sucks for a number of reasons, but does that game the difference between – 11 wins or 12 wins? Well, if that's the case, well, then that that's that's particularly frustrating. Is it the difference between 13 wins and 14 wins? Okay, then that would be somewhat different. You know, it's going to be tough to always look at these things in hindsight. But, I mean, wh- what do you think? Do you do you even bother with number of wins, Johnny, or just kind of look at it at the end as far as standings? Or I mean, it, obviously, at the end, it is the ultimate arbiter of where they end up in conference. Um, I, I think 12 wins may be difficult to attain if for no other reason than Texas is missing two games from their schedule. So I feel like this is going to end up, especially if the Big 12 uh, insists on having its conference tournament instead of using that time to make up missed regular seasons game, there's going to be several teams with, say, the same number of wins, but a significantly different number of losses, right? Like it could be that Texas ends up being 11 and five and Oklahoma ends up being 11 and seven or something, right? And so um, in an 18 game schedule, uh, conference schedule, 12 wins would be a good barometer to have and any way texas can get to 12 will be good regardless of how many losses they have uh so that's that's perfectly fine to want to get right where i'm coming into it is that it it sucks that texas lost to oklahoma in, in that it is a game that if both teams are full strength texas is more likely to win the nod at home and that is a game that should be a win in Texas Ledger, but is now a loss. So it does suck there. I'm sort of of the opinion that right now, Texas is still a decently solid number two team in the conference. And then Oklahoma is probably three. And West Virginia Tech and Kansas are all in that four through six. And I, I feel like if Texas, now that they're fully healthy, gets back to playing the way they can. Uh, If Oklahoma continues to play at the level they've been playing at the last several games, they're probably going to separate themselves out from the other three by a a game or two at the end of the the day. I, I don't care about being second in the conference specifically. It would be nice to have as the best finish they've had in a long time. Uh, I'm more concerned about seed lines down the road and Texas as the number two team in the big 12 is probably a two or three seed. And I, I'm perfectly happy with that. I don't think there's a much of a shot of Texas being a number one seed at this point. So, you know, outside of beating Baylor, then, then maybe we get that discussion. So let's say, would you trade only 10 wins in conference for a win over Baylor or they get to 12 but lose to Baylor? Uh, that's a good one. Because I feel like if Texas wins 10, then they are probably going 
what are they right now? Five and three, five and two. Ten and six. So, yeah, ten maybe and ten six, and seven. So that that means they're going to end up going five and four the rest of the way, and that. But with a win over Baylor, they're probably a three or four seed. Uh, if there are twelve, if there are twelve wins, but they lose to Baylor, then they might still be a two seed, depending on who else they beat. Right? They'll be a two, three, four seed. So I, I don't know how much functional difference it will make at the end. I, I think, um, I would prefer beating Baylor just because that means they can't go undefeated this year, and I'd, I'd kind of like that. I mean, um, twelve but and four for- in conference play is a pretty nice. It would be number. absolutely, and I and I think. Um, I mean, I guess the issue is that if they if they if they are going to go twelve and four, that means that they go what seven or six and one the rest well seven and one the rest of the way because they'd be five and three if they lose to Baylor. So they go six and one the rest of the way. So they're probably a two seed regardless, like because of the teams they have left to play. That's probably a good enough resume for a two seed or at worst like the top three seed. So. I, I am sort of happy that we're talking about where amongst the two through four seeds Texas ends up at rather than <laughs> which side of the bubble are they on, guys? There, there's your positivity, well, it, Will. There, you got your positivity for me. Quota for the year, hit. And particularly when we understand that, you know, again, everything's in Indiana. So so what, what role does that play with stuff like that, too? Because famously... <laughs> Very on brand for me. Very on brand. The reason Texas got the four seed that year in Tulsa was because that was the geographical seed, so they got to play close to Austin. So you know the 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 the, ter- the committee even said Texas should have been a three seed, but because they gave them a geographical spot there in Tulsa, that's why it was there. Well, if there's no geographical stuff with this, then will we see a much more straightforward like, hey, it doesn't matter, you know, who would get what other. Yeah, they, they've said considerations. They, they've said they're they're going way closer to the, the S curve with the conference restrictions in play of you know can't face people before was it like the Sweet Sixteen or whatever. So um, it won't be a hundred percent the S curve. But under that sort of caveat, I'm all for Texas getting w- whatever scenario gets Texas the highest seed on the S curve possible. Like. I would much rather, I mean, I guess there's not really much difference in being the lowest two versus the highest three, because you're going to end up playing each other down the road if everybody goes to their seed. Um, but, you know, whatever maximizes the return, I, let's let's GameStop this thing. I'm fine. Y'all are really, really far ahead, so I'm going to bring y'all back into more present day, like today. Uh, which one of y'all has the monkey paw? And wished that Kansas would not win the Big 12 this year. I mean, I guess by that definition, I have it every year. Um, (laughs) Because Kansas isn't probably going to win the Big 12 this year, but... You got a hot take going on over here. I know, I know. It's pretty hot. But... They only got four losses, and Baylor could, (laughs) you know, have a plane wreck or something. It's true, it's true. But uh, Baylor's probably going to win this if all things continue the way they do. <sighs> Go ahead and give me your Scott Drew fact, Tim, for the day. Uh, I-, I am unfamiliar with who he is right now. So he's the guy who murders all the people in Scream. Like, so Scream is based off of his life. It like People don't know this. It's a true story. Uh, Scream, the Scott Drew story, where he murders a bunch of teenagers at a party. And uh, 
and just kind of goes from there. Are you sure he doesn't just ship them off to different countries? He might. He might. Y- you know, so, Scott Drew dresses up as Emperor Palpatine every year for Halloween, and they he says he does it ironically, but he wears that thing for like a solid five days every year, and he he just electrocutes the shit out of people around him for the better part of a week every year around Halloween. Cattle prod. Yeah. Unlimited red shirts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Baylor this year, pretty good. Uh, how good? Question. Do you, do you want me to give you a, a little historical perspective on this? Please. So, uh, I went back and looked at uh, their, their uh, adjusted efficiency metric in Ken, in Pomeroy this year. Uh, right now, as as of the recording, of this is thirty four point two three plus thirty four point two three, which means they are plus thirty four point two three over the absolute mid level D one team right now. I went back and looked back to the two thousand one two thousand two season on Pomeroy Gonzaga this year, notwithstanding. Here are the other teams that had a plus thirty four or better efficiency metric: Virginia in two thousand nineteen when they won the national title. Villanova in 2018, when they won the national title. Kentucky in 2015, when they finished in the Final Four, and I believe that's the season where they lost their first game in the Final Four to Wisconsin. Uh, Kansas in 2008, when they won the national title. And Duke in 2002, when they went to the Sweet 16. And we can all be happy that Duke only made it to the Sweet 16 because it's Duke. But that's probably a, a pretty decent pedigree as to the rarefied air uh, that Baylor and Gonzaga are in right now. Um, They are clearly the two best teams in the country by a significant portion. And it's going to be difficult for, I mean, it seems like Gonzaga is almost definitely going into the tournament undefeated Baylor. They got four, their next four games are Texas uh, tech and they've got, was it two home and away against West Virginia? So if they're going to take a loss, it's going to be probably in that four-game stretch. Maybe they get, maybe they lose two. Who knows? But, you know, they're, they're still extremely good. It, almost historically good. I watch Gonzaga. I think I've watched them about every week. I just I find myself awake at, you know, 11 o'clock on a Thursday or... 7 p.m. on a Saturday, you know, some of those late nights, and and Gonzaga, and Gonzaga will play. It, it's 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 so impressive to watch how Gonzaga just throws waves at you, and it they're so athletic, they are so long, they have a ton of skill, and Gonzaga just when you watch them play, it just they you find yourself rooting for them and expecting greatness. And, and of course, like part of that is like they play Pepperdine or they play, you know, like Cal state Bakersfield or some shit. And it's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's certainly part of it, but they're really good. And then you watch Baylor play in the big 12 and you understand the difference in level of competition. And Baylor looks almost as good against a very different level of competition, uh, which is super painful to say, (laughs) Uh, I don't like saying that, but they also look like they're having fun. You know, they obviously really care about each other, which matters for this kind of stuff. They, they're so physically capable. Their strength and conditioning stuff is, is just 
kind of remarkable. And they have they've got a mix of guys right now that just really fit, and they are, they are incredibly skilled and very very strong and very good with the basketball and kind of rise to the occasion. <sighs> They're not fun to watch. They're terrible to watch. Awful, rotten, miserable to watch. But they sure are good. I guess I don't know that I can pay a much higher compliment to someone, <laughs> to any team, than to say, boy, they kind of look like this year's Gonzaga team. Because if you look like this year's Gonzaga team, you got something going. I think the only differentiation between Gonzaga and Baylor this year, uh, well, one being that Gonzaga plays good defense, but not elite defense. Uh, and that Gonzaga looks like they have three dudes in the starting lineup who will play in the NBA eight months from now, whereas Baylor might have one. Like, they've got really good players, but they're not like the sort of, you know, there's no Jackson Hayes-type athletic freaks in there. I mean, Jonathan Chawa Chachua, I probably butchered that, even though I I memorized it at one point, and I'm probably getting it wrong. Sexual uh, chocolate. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna do. I'm gonna refer to the same crutch as every announcer that is has called a Baylor game and call him Everyday John because apparently that's his nickname around Baylor, partly because he's there every day and partly because people in Waco do not want to try and pronounce an ethnic name that's just not in their wheelhouse. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> not gonna not gonna not gonna work here anymore. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um. Baylor has a lot of extremely good college players who I'm not sure have an NBA future. And there's a couple guys who, who have an NBA future, but like Gonzaga looks like a squad of future NBA guys. And it's not, you know, one one is not necessarily better than the other, it, but that's, that is as close as you get to the clash of styles between the two. Um, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to be really rough watching Baylor blaze a trail through the the NCAA tournament because as much as as much as it is, you know, it's sort of hacky to say, okay, you're going to take this team versus the field. If you gave me Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field, I would have to think about it for a long time. Oh yeah, you take that. So what exactly does Baylor do well? What is it that is their calling card? When I watch a Baylor Bears game, especially against Texas, what am I going to be expecting to see? So, uh, I mean, a, a number of things. But but I would say that if we're looking for sort of a... Before we get into that, I want to give sort of a point of reference of where Texas is versus where Baylor is. Um, with Texas in Big 12 play, the difference between uh, their offensive and defensive efficiency is about 9.6 points per 100 possessions, which means their offense per 100 possessions scores about 9.6 points more than their defense gives up, right? It's almost 10 points, which is a very, very good number. Um, Baylor in Big 12 play is at 27.7 points. Like it's a ridiculous level of, of a ridiculous discrepancy between the two. They are very efficient on both ends of the floor, and they're the best team, the big best defensive team in the Big Twelve by a fairly significant margin, at least during conference play. 
Um, so, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of like as as good as Texas has been. It's just Baylor is still another level, right? And for Texas to win this game, they're, they're going to need to do some do do a couple different things. And, and like, if, if I'm looking for a Texas upset, here are the recipes I'm looking at. Baylor currently uh, averages turning the ball over, like forcing turnovers on 25% of their defensive possessions. One out of every four trips down the floor, Baylor turns the other team over. So if Texas can reduce that significantly, reduce it to like 20% or something, that is somewhere in the, like anywhere below 20%, that's going to help their case. And, and to Texas's credit, they have Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, who are good with the ball, who understand how to attack a defense. Because what Baylor is doing is effectively what Tech does defensively. They're just better at it. It is an aggressive paint denial. They try and keep people out of the middle. They help aggressively. And that means that your point guards have to understand what they're about to run into, understand they're going to get turned toward the baseline, and understand that a help defender is coming and quickly. So if Texas can understand that and Coleman and Ramey and to a lesser extent Andrew Jones are able to see the help coming and hit the open guy through a skip pass, through hitting somebody off the ball, there are points to be gained because that uh, that level of aggression in a half-court defense is exploitable. That, But that sort of feeds into the turnover thing, right? Like Texas has to be smart with the ball, especially in the half-court offense, and they have to... They, they have to make the right pass instead of a turnover, right? So there's that. No wasted possessions, right? Yeah, as few as possible. Ba- Baylor's going to turn you over some. Like, what, what you got to do is limit the turnovers as best you can. So the other thing is that one of the things that Baylor does really well is they grab offensive rebounds. They grab 37% of their offensive rebound chances. Texas is really good at denying offensive rebounds. They only allow 26% of offensive rebound possess- uh, chances when they're on defense. Thank you, Greg Brown. Yeah, yeah. Billionaire Royce Hayam. Royce Hayam minus the fouls. <laughs> so if... And only minus the fouls. <laughs> yes, yes, basically. Um, if, if Texas can get that number down, if Texas can keep Baylor say under 30% on offensive rebounding, they've got a chance. Like the, these are sort of the the two main preconditions for me. And I guess it's a third if you sort of consider what I was talking about with the point guards. But it's like Baylor is so good at what they do everywhere that it is as much about limiting second chance points and limiting turnovers turning into points. Like that's that's really, for me, outside of that, you're just sort of wish casting as to, you know, okay, maybe Andrew Jones goes five of eight from three or something. Like it's, you know, it, it seems, it seems difficult. That was well said. When you talk about beating a team like this, you have to play efficiently everywhere. Everywhere. You know, we, we've had some games this year where like against Davidson, we allowed them to shoot almost 80% from from inside the arc, and we shot under 30% from three. You do that against Baylor, you lose. Against North Carolina, we gave up something like, I don't even remember what it was, like like 21 offensive rebounds. It wasn't that high, but whatever it was, the number was too high. You do that against Baylor, you lose. Against Oklahoma, we had 
three guys file out. You do that against Baylor, you lose. If you if you play less, not I don't want to say less than your best, but if you have any resounding areas of your game that are really glaring problems, you're going to get beat by Baylor because they're really good. And and we talk a lot about hyperboles and and wow, this team is, has been so good. You know, and we talked about how Shaka's teams has kind of found ways to lose in the past. And I don't know that I can lay a better compliment on on this Baylor team than like they that's a team full of guys that make plays that just simply make plays. And whether that play is get a really important offensive rebound or whether that play is move your feet and 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 get the the block call instead of the charge or I'm sorry, the charge call instead of the block or whether it's, you know, hit a tough 3 against, you know, handing your face defense off the bounce, like they just have a bunch of guys that they can rely on. They can legitimately rely on guys to make tough plays all over the court. And if you're playing a team like that that can just can manufacture offense out of out of nothing, can create more possessions for themselves either off of turnovers or offensive rebounds, can play together and and like knows each other well enough because they've been, you know, on the same team for years. That's a tough team to beat, especially if you have parts of your game that just are are subpar. So I, I hate to to minimize some of these some of these talking points, but it really boils down to me of like if Texas simply cannot have have probably any spots of their games like wow I can't believe that we did this and won <laughs> because if if you do that thing whatever that thing is shooting under thirty percent from three or having more turnovers than assists or or giving up thirty five plus percent of offensive rebounds to the opponent or shooting fifty percent from the free throw line or having your guard your starting guards go two seventeen like you do that it's it's not just gonna be a loss like we're gonna get we're gonna get smacked because we could do all those things really well and still lose. <laughs> like we could play a very efficient game and lose um, or play a great game and, and only win by a little bit. Right. It's, it's just, this is a really good team they're playing. Yeah. Well, one, one small chink in the armor for Baylor. And it's, it's, I mean, it's only in a relative sense is that they're not great at free throw shooting and like they're, they're fine. They're not great. And so, if there is a scenario in which Baylor shoots a, a number of free throws, which Lord knows, given Texas propensity to foul, uh, is not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, if you can get someone like... What? With the what now? Say what? <laughs> yeah. If you can get Mark Vidal and Flo Thamba shooting those free throws as opposed to like Macy O'T. Wait, wait, wait. Say that last name again. Say that one, one more Flo time. Thamba. Flo Thamba. Flo Thamba. Flow thought is. Are we sure that's just? Yeah, it's not. It, no, he he does he have. Yeah, he he doesn't play well enough to to be like Mo in another jersey. Like that's just not. He's, okay, he's he's a he's a he's a decent player, but he's not him. Have we checked? Yeah, we've checked. Uh, Mo okay. is still not playing because of COVID. But thanks for bringing that up, Will. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, it, I mean, I guess but Jared Allen is. Yeah, yes, Jared he, Allen is. Yeah, he is with the Cavaliers in the G League. Uh, because but uh, that's where the Cavs did you not are. see what he did tonight? Do you not see what he did tonight? No, twenty three points, eighteen rebounds, and five blocks. The Cavs all of a sudden are looking good. That was, that was well. more a joke of the Cavs than 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 Jared. I'm sure he's no, doing. No, I get it. But yeah. also, Jared Allen is awesome. And don't you dare besmirch his name or the name of St. Stephen's. Hey, says the guy who. Wasn't sure if Flo Thamba was Mo Bamba. All right. Just saying. So I 
like again, if if they give a bunch of free throw attempts to like Macy Oteague, this was probably church. But if they give them up to Mark Vidal, maybe they get a shot. You know, like it's Texas is clearly the underdog. They should be the underdog. But if if we're coming up for recipes for a win, it's what we talked about. Plus, maybe Jericho Sims fouling the right dudes. I, I don't know. I do think that Texas needs to be mid to high 70s at least. I don't see a path to winning if this game is a is an execution game. Like if it's about what team executes in the half court, I'm I'm. I'm not sure I can see a path to winning what, for Texas in that situation. Yeah, and what's interesting is both teams are okay with pushing it up the court. I mean, I think some of Baylor's tempo is due to their turnover proficiency. Like, they, some of their tempo is a goosed by that a little bit. But, you know, if they want to get up and down and run, I'm sure they don't. But if they, they're okay getting up, getting up and down and running, Texas has a shot. Like, I... One of the things that I f- I'm going to find intensely interesting about this, other than muting Dick Vitale for the entirety of this, is that I I really want to see, like, it's the first, it seems like two teams full of fucking alpha dogs, right? Like, they all, like, I don't think anybody on Texas is going to be afraid of anybody on Baylor, and vice versa, right? And and, and they shouldn't be. But it's going to be interesting to see, does Courtney Ramey get a double technical in the first five minutes or something? Because, like, this is, you know, th- these are two teams that are very confident and and have no problem chirping at each other. And I can absolutely see Courtney Ramey and, like, you know, Macy Oteague just jawing at each other for 40 straight minutes. I'm interested to see if I'm upset that we didn't get two games of this this year. Or if I am really happy that we didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, maybe Texas only loses by three and can like hang a banner of closest loss to Baylor this season. <laughs> pull pull an AM. Yeah. Yeah. Put it on our cups. Moral victory for grades. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we've got a pretty good idea of Baylor. We could probably talk a little bit more. Uh, well, you know, before we get off of Baylor, I'm still not familiar with who Scott Drew is. Do you guys care to let me know? Is are, are there any facts that I don't know that perhaps are interesting? I don't know if you know this, but uh, Scott Drew is the foremost complainant in Waco of people who run stop signs, but only in his neighborhood and only when they get in his way. Huh. I'm pretty huh. sure that he found out some kind of serum to feed to pandas so that they don't want to mate. He's wow. the reason that pandas are going extinct. What an asshole. What He's an asshole. Worst. You know, I, I think I do have one thing I, I have heard about this guy is that he is known as a as a baby sacrificer where he does sacrificial uh, rituals using baby's blood. Uh, you know, this is, I just heard this. I don't like not saying this is true, but I, I hear that he eats babies. I, I know that I've, or I've, I've seen on the internet, which means it's true that he is the guy who is short on GameStop and refuses to sell. And then not because he wants to make money. He just really wants GameStop to fucking die. No, I mean, a lot of us do, but his favorite big 12 player is Mac McClung. Wow. Wow. 
loves the damn guy. This dude loves him. It, are we? This dude. Are we sure he's not the father of Mac McClung? Well, in that West Virginia game, Mac McClung had like seventeen of his family that was sitting there in the stands or whatever. All Very of them punch- are Scott Drew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the most punchable faces I've ever seen. All right, uh, no more, no more Scott Drew facts out here. Nothing off the top of the head. No, we're done. I mean, this is the last time we get it. Till next season. Till next season. Or the conference tournament, I guess. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Till we see them in the championship. Yeah. Got it. All right, Oklahoma State, y'all. Anything new? with them anything we should be watching out for i mean they have done actually pretty well for themselves they are four and four in conference they are within that two to six teams in the big 12 they're in the fight for that big 12 number two spot you know however likely it is for them what is new about oklahoma state that we don't know that we didn't see last time well cunningham's role because he was gone for a while has changed so they had a few games where he where he wasn't playing. I don't know if it was it COVID for sure. Do we know Johnny or? I mean, it was. I assume it was COVID related. I don't know if it was if he actually got sick or if it was contact tracing or what. I mean, no. the fact that he got to sit on the bench makes me think that it was contact tracing and he just hadn't been officially cleared to play, kind of thing. Yeah. So they had some time to kind of marinate without him, and. So, kind of interestingly enough, I've I've kind of been a big proponent of, of likely over his time there, and he's he's been pretty good. He still, as as Johnny says, is a reluctant shooter. So, from a standpoint of, he's still kind of limited, but they've been fine. You know, I I think they're a team that obviously, when things go well for them, they go really well. When they don't go so well, they're you know they have a hard time making shots, and and it will sort of depend on on what kind of cade they get. I still think Texas is one of the teams that that's just not going to be overwhelmed by their athleticism. And you hope that the combination of, of Matt and Courtney and Andrew can be enough against them, but it's going to be a tough game. So I don't, you know, if you look at the game against Baylor and say, well, we only have, you know, if we, as long as we go one and one, um, but that's going to be a game that that Texas has to bring there, bring plenty of effort to as well. I, I think for Oklahoma state, this game is going to mean not, not necessarily, it's not that it doesn't mean anything to Texas, right? Because Texas needs to stack wins however they can stack them. And Oklahoma State is a solid team. I, I don't know if they're top 25, but they are currently sitting at that sort of right side of the bubble kind of situation. So going and beating Texas is going to help their situation significantly. So they're going to be motivated uh, especially because it does not appear at this point that the NCAA is going to rule on their case prior to the tournament. So we should assume that Oklahoma State is eligible for the tournament, in which case they're trying to build a resume. And beating Texas is going to be a a good feather in their cap. I I still kind of feel like Oklahoma State is, you know, especially with the rise of Oklahoma, like a half step below those other teams. Like they are definitely better than TCU, Iowa State, and Kansas State. They may be just a, a, a touch or two behind the you know, the top six teams, which means they're probably going to be the only team from the Big Twelve that's on the bubble. And so, for like I said, they're they're going to need to stack wins against Big Twelve opponents wherever they can. So I I think they're going to be plenty motivated to try and try and win that game. Yeah, I think this is also a game that you really can't sleep on. Oklahoma State, as Tim pointed out, 
is a team that can come and surprise guys like Texas Tech and Kansas that they did to them. They're a good team when they get hot, but I think that's really all we can or need to touch on on Oklahoma State, hopefully. Knock on wood. I think that's time for uh, pretending to know us. You guys can pretend to get to know us this week. This week's question is a pretty open-ended one. If you could be a fly on the wall, where would you land? Who wants to start? Nobody? No, anybody? I'll, you want me to start? Or do you want to go, Tim? Oh, either way, my guy. I, I can start. I don't know if this has ever happened before, but I feel like it would be cool to be the fly on the wall of the Apollo 11 as it reached the moon. Just kind of like on the wall of the screen in Buzz Aldrin's mask as he walks on the moon. So I I don't know if a fly could survive the G's that it takes to get into space, but it would be cool to see if that's ever happened where there's a fly that just happens to be on it, so, somehow makes it in. So in in this scenario, are you are you aware enough to know not to go out the airlock, right? Like if you're a fly, then the question is, are you a fly that can survive? Right? Like because are we talking we're indestructible fly? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, if we're doing an indestructible fly, then I'm going straight into a savings and loan or a bank or something and just pulling cash. <laughs> um, if I mean, I guess that, that's sort of the question, right? It's like, do you want to be the first fly on the moon, or do you want to be the first fly who makes it back from the moon? See, that's what I'm saying. I'm in the I'm in the screen. I'm like in Buzz Aldrin's face mask. And yeah, he's but like, he, he takes Buzz Aldrin's that helmet on the off, moon, though. And he, he's trying to act cool, and he's like, I don't have a ma- I don't have a fly here. I don't know what you're talking about. But the entire time, he's like hitting himself in the head, trying to kill the fly that's on the side of his mask, but I'm just in there, kind of like chilling. One small step for man, but motherfucker, where did this fly come from? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Uh, who's next? Uh, Wild Things film production set. <laughs> <laughs> any particular part of that movie because i feel like your experience is going to vary a lot based on on when in that movie you're around uh, whenever denise richards is there period <laughs> just any time with her makes no difference yeah i feel like there are other movies that nope. that's no? the one well that all right one. if we're going that route then I guess no, no, no. Give me, give me something new and and, and exciting. Johnny. Honestly, mine was going to be incredibly lame because I just wanted to be a fly on the wall when Shaka talked openly about how he felt about the Big Twelve and Oklahoma game. Like it felt like he probably peeled some paint off the wall because privately, I'm pretty sure he's a very well. No, I know he's a very intense dude. So I would have liked to heard him like. Either like during the game and like the hour after the game where he's in ice, like because he was in isolation away from his family. So I'm sure he just he was just cussing. And I, I kind of want to see that completely unfiltered scream shaka like that's that would be kind of great. So, yeah, I feel like you can go historical. I was looking forward to maybe. Being on the side of the wall, the bunker, while watching Hitler's 
empire fall Here, and crush, crumble around him and, and see the anger and, and frustration in his eyes? Here, I'll, I'll bring it to something that is a, a favorite of yours. I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall in the garage at Christmas when I was a kid for like most of the hour before we ran over the cat so that... <laughs> You know, not during the run over, <laughs> but before. So I could just really appreciate that cat for a solid like 58 minutes or so. And then just, I mean, I'm a fly at the end. So then afterwards, I guess I'm pretty excited because hooray, <laughs> that's, uh, that's fresh. Um, but that's, does that, does that work for you? Is that better? Ah, oh, Jesus, Johnny. All right. I think we're going to be done. I'm done. You ruined it. You ruined it, Johnny. Uh, on that note, Thank y'all for pretending we were football for the past hour. I've been your host, Will Bazer, and you guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? I mean, other than finding all of us on the Pretend We're Football Twitter account, um, which is... Oh, you're right. Yeah. Pretend We're... FB. FB. No S. Yeah. Um, no, get that S out of here. Yeah. Uh, there's also there's that, but uh, find me on Twitter at BitterWhiteGuy. Uh, you can also find me on Substack, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com, where I write, uh, you know, when there are games. Uh, that, yeah, that's it's uh, yeah. yeah. Is that is that when you write? Yeah, pretty much. Well, I had somebody who was like, "Hey, man, what did you write last week?" And I was like, "There were zero games. I was playing Assassin's Creed, man." This is not what I pay for. <laughs> yeah, you want your two dollars a month back? Fine. Refund it. I can I can confirm that he's been playing Assassin's Creed at night. Yeah, not inviting me to play Rocket League. Very very. Oh, I thought y'all were together and, and kind of like like nestling each other while watching. Hurtful stuff. <laughs> Hurtful stuff. Yeah. the The problem is after about eleven o'clock, my phone goes into like do not disturb mode for my own sanity, so that like I can't get texts from you know. Random people Tim. at work at twelve thirty in the morning. Tim. Yeah. Well, Tim's also Tim. sort of collateral damage in this, but I, <laughs> so like basically, you gotta call me at least twice in fifteen minutes to to to, to get my attention after eleven o'clock. Otherwise, I I'm gonna see it at eight o'clock the next morning. So, Tim, dog farts. Yeah. Good grief, Murphy. Good God. Just- over there, like nothing happened. Oh, what? Oh, oh smell bad. <laughs> uh, Inside Texas Hoop, no S on Twitter and at InsideTexas.com. As always, an awesome community. Great writers, great people. Come hang out with us. It's weird because, Johnny, I don't know if Tim really talks good about Inside Texas when he's off air. I mean, D- I, I don't depends know. Depends on the week. I'll, yeah, you're I, right. I mean, yeah. It's, it's always when he gets on the show that he's really all about it, but you know, off the show, he's just—he hates Justin Wells so much. Just oh, yeah. fucking hates him. Like <laughs> his name isn't even Justin Wells; it's fucking Justin Wells every time. Right, Tim? Uh, this is erroneous, slanderous. This is not cool. <laughs> the only person I don't like at our site is Will Gallagher. What a dick! guy's terrible well that's nice i I can i can attest to that that guy's the worst unbelievable all right enough slander you guys can find other slander i mean podcasts like this on the hornscast channel it's the hornscast channel on on any podcasting platform out there choose your favorite we're there again you guys can find us on twitter at pretend we're fb get that s out of here 
And, uh, yeah, that's about it. On that note, hook them. Hook them. So, I guess the first thing you'd want to be is you'd want to be there. Definitely you'd want to be there, you know, in the in the bedroom scene where it's Nev and Matt Dillon and her phenomenal scene. One of the best ever. You like, you know, just the emotional, you know, you know. Just, just, just the acting was incredible. Just so strong, so, so persevering in in the face of of such hotness. Um, Tim, like, why not Star Wars? Why not the first set of Star Wars? Denise Richards was not it in Star Wars. That she wasn't, she wasn't there. So that's why. Just I, I don't know that I could. It's so I wasn't really on a date when I watched that movie but it was a senior in high school and there was a girl that was from a town that was not from my town from an like our big rival like you know eight minutes up the road and she asked me to go to the movie with her but like there nothing had ever like there'd never been any like weird tension or anything like that with that but she invites me to go to the movie and so i'm sitting next to her you know we're there in ames what a place incredible and then that scene comes on and I'm like, wait a second, is this what this movie is? I didn't know this was what this movie was. And then I kind of looked at her, and she looked at me, and she's just like shaking her head, like, no, this this is not happening. I was like, oh, okay, good, well, fine. <laughs> so anyway, but anyways, the scene in the bedroom would be great. The scene, um, for sure, with the car wash, just an incredible scene, one of the best in cinema history. Um, incredible cinematography, great writing, uh, wonderful dialogue. You love to see it. Um, certainly the pool scene with her and Nev Campbell. That's probably the number one. Uh, that's that's right up there with like uh, you know the the horse head scene in Godfather and uh, the Luke I am your father and Empire Strikes Back. You also probably appreciate like you know maybe the the D Day scene and Saving Private Ryan, um, stuff like that. It's it's just it's just a, an absolute masterpiece. Um, and and plus the cool thing is flies have so many eyes. They have so many eyes. So if you're there and like you like you're getting like a thousand different views of that, oh my gosh, what a time! So we're sitting in the theater and she's like, she just looks at me all weird like, oh, you know, this is this is good. She's like, oh, okay, I'll see.